0: Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 to 10. Then I saw in the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And between the throne and the four living creatures, and among the elders, I saw a lamb standing, as though it had been slain, with seven horns, and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God, sent out into all the earth. And he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. And when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the twenty-four elders, fell down before the lamb, each holding a harp and golden balls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals. For you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God, from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of priests, to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. Here ends the reading.
1: Amen. Scroll with seven seals. Remember that. We're looking at the book of Revelation right now. And this... What's going to happen this morning drives the action for the rest of this book. John has walked through a door, and he's seen a picture of heaven. Last week, as we worshiped together, we saw um, what heaven was like from John's perspective with this incredible uh, but strange look of worship that... Uh, this God and, and, and pictured as a jewel and a light and elders around thrones and a sea of glass and rainbows. And it's just this visual imagery that's amazing. And then this is the action of what happens. If you'll look with me, it says on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne, a scroll written and on the back, written within and on the back, and sealed with seven seals. Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. So, as we look this morning, i have some questions for you. What's the scroll and what's on the scroll? So that's the first question. What's the scroll or what's on the scroll? Second, why can't it be opened? Third question is this. Who emerges with the ability to open it and why does that matter to us? So those are the questions that I just want to address fairly briefly this morning. Scroll: the fact that it, there's writing on the front and the back would matter. Vellum, the the what scrolls were written on in that day, you would only write on one side because the way it was uh, built, the way you only had writing, you could only really write well on one side of it. The other side would not really receive whatever you were trying to write on. So there was only a couple of documents at that time of history where there was writing on two sides. And they tended to be legal documents. They tended to be contracts or wills. What you would have is the, the text of the document would be on the inside, and on the outside would be a summary of what it was. And then it would be sealed closed with these wax seals and somebody you trusted would put their mark in there. Because think about it, if you had a document or a contract or a will, back in that day, you weren't going to put it in the cloud or you weren't going to send it off somewhere. So you said, okay, I'm going to take this to have it be adjudicated, take it to a court and have it be done. But how do I know that on the way somebody doesn't give my inheritance to someone else and just write something else in there? Well, the seal, you would only it would only be legal and valid if the person who had the seal authenticated that it was theirs when it was broken open. So, it's it was very important that so that writing on the front and the back, Ezekiel's scroll that we talked about, he eats a scroll, we spoke on that last week, that's also on the front and the back. It's only a couple times in Scripture a mentioned, and that idea of being on the front and the back. What's on the scroll? We don't know. We, we don't get the text of the scroll read to us in the book of Revelation. We don't know. But here's what we do know. Every time one of the seals is open, something happens in heaven and on earth. Something wrong is made right. A lot of times say, well, why would someone break open the scroll? If you know about Revelation, it's just chaos, right? There's a lot of death. There's a lot of destruction. You think, don't break open the scroll. I mean, just keep it in, right? Why do that to ourselves? Because when things are broken, it often takes something cataclysmic to make it right. Think about the flood. Think about the fact that when the world was in this broken place, it took God coming and sweeping it away before he was able to work. This is the pattern. And you see it in life all the time that something has to happen that's not so gentle to bring about the wrong to be made right. We've got a word, I'll give you just one. We're going to look at what happens when the seals are broken a bit last week. We're going to move fairly quickly through the next like 12 chapters in two weeks because it happens, they're short chapters and it happens quite rapidly. But what we find out, is that the? Uh, I'll give you just one example of what happens when a seal is opened. Uh, the fifth seal, it says, this is Revelation 6-9, it says, I saw as the fifth seal was opened, I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain, that is the martyrs, for the word of God. For the witness they'd born and they cried out, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, won't you avenge our blood? In other words, those who were unjustly killed, won't you do something about it? So God begins to set right what has been wrong. Once the scrolls are completely opened and everything is done, here's what happens. This is Revelation eleven fifteen. When the seventh angel blew his trumpet and all the seals were open, there were loud voices saying, Now the kingdom of this world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. You're hearing the Messiah in your head, hopefully, as you hear that. That's where the words come from. When the seals are open, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of earth have merged into one. What we're going to see as we look over the next few weeks, we're not going to spend a long time in Revelation, but what we're going to see is we're going to see the what's happened from Genesis 1, the creation of the world, it's rolling back. All that has gone wrong, God begins to roll back, and we're going to see that God is going to bring back, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. He's going to bring and renew the earth. It's going to be a beautiful picture and portrait of the wrong being made right. So what's on the scroll? While we don't know the exact words, what we know is that God's purposes and God's will are being accomplished if the scroll is opened. But if it's not opened, through and pick up some scriptures that talk about that, but the scroll must be opened for God's will and God's purposes to be accomplished. So the question for us, do we want God's will and God's purposes accomplished in our lives? I do. I hope you do. So what's on the scroll has incredible importance. So why can't it be opened? Well, scrolls of this sort are invalidated if the wrong person opens it. If someone who's not worthy doesn't have the authority, isn't the right person. You can't. Well, well, couldn't they just rip open the scroll and see it's it's not valid? Once the wrong person opens it, so who can open the scroll? Well, someone who's worthy. So who is that? Who emerges with the ability to open the scroll? Well, let's look back to Genesis, uh, back to Revelation five. Because John's weeping. He's in agony because he knows the purposes of God aren't going to be accomplished if no one is found to open the scroll. And that's where we were in verse 3. But one of the elders, there are 24 elders in this room of heaven, and it says, Weep no more to John. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, is conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Sure, a lion can open the scroll. He's powerful, right? Lion. Roar. He can open the scroll. That's, he's the conqueror. He's got all the authority. He's the big boss. The lion, the king of the jungle. He can open the scroll. That makes sense to me. See the one that opens the scroll? Who do we see? Who emerges with the ability to open the scroll? Because after that verse, I would think there would be a lion who would come and tear open the scroll, right? Urgh! What happens? Verse 6, between the throne where God is sitting, the four living creatures, we talked about them with all these different faces and eyes. Among the elders, I saw a lamb. Not a lion, a lamb. A lamb Standing as though it had been slain. That word slain, think of the word slaughtered. It's the same word. We translate slaughter. A slaughtered lamb, but standing. I've never seen a slaughtered animal standing. Have you? They're usually slaughtered. This slaughtered lamb is standing as though it had been slain. Seven horns and with seven eyes. You think, well, that seems kind of weird. Well, remember, seven is the perfect number. It's the number of God. Horn was a measure of strength. This is imagery. Again, apocalyptic literature. It's imagery to say this lamb of incredible power and with omniscience sees everything. This lamb of amazing power steps forward. And he... Is able to open the scroll and he takes the scroll. Not a lion, but a lamb, a slaughtered lamb, standing lamb, powerful lamb. He takes it and he grabs it in his hand. He's not yet opened the seals. We're going to one by one next week and open. And when when the seal is opened, something in heaven and earth is going to change. Why does this matter? Okay. Here's the takeaway. Why does this matter to us? Why does this imagery matter to us? We've got to go all the way back. We're in Revelation. Let's go all the way back to Genesis. What would a Jew have thought if they said, the, we're, t- we're talking in the presence of God. This picture of, of Revelation is we're sitting in the very presence of God. A man, John, is in the presence of God. Where does that happen for the Jew? It happens in the temple. It happens in the Holy of Holies. That's the area that God had set up for God and man to meet together. What is the purpose of the temple? What is the purpose of that? There's two. First, for communion between God Almighty and people. It's a place for them to meet together. The second is a way to atone for sin. That's where the sacrifice happened. Something is broken. Something is wrong. That's what the temple tells us. That's what the presence of God says. I haven't left you. I have come to you. I I want communion with you. I want to know you. I want to be known by you. And I want to deal with what's wrong. That's what the temple tells us. Adam and Eve, when they lived all the way back in Genesis 3, what did they have? Open communion with God. Sin had not yet broken that. When they decide to be their own gods, and they decide, God, you don't know best. I know best for me. I'll tell you what's right and wrong. I'll decide whether to eat the apple. I'll decide if, if I'm going to obey you or not. They became their own gods, and the presence of God is now broken, and they must leave. The very last verse of Genesis 3, there's a uh, an angel with a flaming sword that's stationed a cherubim, like the ones we see in Revelation. We sang of it this morning. Holy, holy, holy cherubim and seraphim, these huge angels. This flaming sword does not allow anyone back into the garden, into the presence of Eden, because the sword's going to have to fall on someone because the law has been broken. God's holiness has been defiled because people decided they're going to be their own gods. And so here they go. And you know what? We have in the very beginning of chapter 4, after this happens at the last verse of chapter 3, about three verses into chapter 4 of Genesis, we meet a lamb. And it's the children of Adam and Eve, and Abel raises lambs and offers one to God, and God accepts that sacrifice. And then we have pictures of this sacrifice all the way through the Bible, where Abraham sacrificing an animal, not a lamb, but a ram, instead of his son. And then, of course, at the Exodus, we have a lamb slaughtered, and the blood post on the doorway, and the angel of death passes over. And again and again, the sacrificial system, it never takes care of it. It takes care of it for a year, until the next time, because in Yom Kippur, when the we know the, the story. If you've been around church things or seen a, a, a Jewish New Year or a Jewish year, you know that the sacrifice is made each year to try to bring us right with God because something is broken. In our generation, it's easy for people to say, "Well, I'm I'm fine. I don't need help. I, I can do it on my own." Well. Then, the Lord doesn't have much to say to people without need, but if you know something's broken in this world and in your life, then a lamb must be slaughtered, a lamb must be sacrificed theoretically you know and metaphorically in Isaiah the prophet who himself was in the throne room seeing the same picture in Isaiah 6, later prophesying in Isaiah 53, he says, like a sheep, he didn't know who he was speaking of except he called him the servant of the Lord. Like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter like a lamb before its shearers is silent. He opened not his mouth And his humiliation. And in that, justice was denied him His life was taken away from the earth. In Acts 8, it's recorded that an Ethiopian eunuch is reading that scripture as the disciple Philip walks by and goes up and he says, I don't understand, who was he speaking about? And Philip says, do you want to know? And he opened his eyes and explained to him that this scripture was about Jesus Christ, the lamb that was slain. Peter, another disciple, says in 1 Peter uh, chapter 1 verse 18 knowing you were ransomed from your futile ways inherited from your forefathers not without perishable things such as silver or gold but with the precious blood of Christ who is a lamb without blemish or spot remember the flaming sword of the angel sitting outside the offer of the gospel is this you can come back to Eden because the sword fell on a lamb. The wrath that was rightly given to all of us who've gone astray and become our own gods, for those who know something is broken in them, the opportunity is there for you to know that the sword that should have fallen on me and should have fallen on you has fallen on the Lamb of God. He was slain for the sins of the world. He was slain for your sins. He was slain for everything that's broken in our broken, dark world. And because of that, you are welcome in the presence of God. Because, see, the temple no longer exists in Jerusalem. It exists inside of those who have the blood of the Lamb has been sprinkled on their hearts and they've been made clean. You're welcome in the presence of God. Your sins have been atoned for if you fall under the one lamb that's worthy to take the scroll. We're going to see next week that all the fear, I think, that surrounds sometimes the events that we read about in Revelation that seems so terrifying and chaotic will bring believers joy because we can trust our God to make what's wrong right it'll be hard and good revelation and all that it entails is is going to be hard to listen to and to read and yet so good because see there's a marriage supper coming at the very end there's a garden and there's a tree of life and there's a big feast and who doesn't like a big feast and there's a god and there's light and there's no brokenness And there's no tears and all that's wrong has been set right by a lamb who was slain. Would you pray with me, please? Lord God, those of us who hear this word and it's strange or troubling or or just we, we don't know what to make of it, I ask that you would come for father first convince us of our need that we need you. Lord, that we see the brokenness in us, that all have sinned, all have fallen short of the glory of God. Even for those of us who know you, Lord, I see my own sin. It's ever before me, Lord. But forgiveness comes over and over and over again to those who ask it. And Lord, looking at a broken world, I I long for the day, Lord, when you make things right, for the injustice and for the hate and for... The darkness that lives, Lord, I ask that the message that the children sang about this morning, the message that's in just just littered throughout the gospel, that Jesus Christ came to save, that He came for the sick, came for the broken, and that He made Himself a lamb. The Lion made Himself a slaughtered lamb willingly sacrificing his own life for we who deserve to die. Lord, as simple as agreeing with you, as simple as embracing that truth changes our lives forever. Lord, and our response can be to worship you forever because you are worthy to open the scroll, to execute the purposes and plans of God. And in that, Lord, we live forever forever. Lord, give us a moment. We just want to give you a moment to speak to us, to work in our hearts. I'm going to give you just a minute to pray on your own, to talk to the Lamb of God slain for the sins of the world.